0: Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Okay, thanks, Steph. Man, 11 o'clock, let's go. Well, welcome. My name is Rob. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, we decided to give Mike and Kev and the rest of the staff a day off. Sam and I said, we got this. And uh, no prayers for them, please. They are both, Kevin and Mike are both sick. And then Tim and Suze are just, they're just doing their thing. But um, yeah, we got it this morning. So um, I'm excited to spend some time with you guys this morning. This is my first time speaking to y'all. Come on. Um, so if it's terrible, you never see me up here again, you know why? I'm just kidding. Um, but oftentimes you guys are here and you guys are the ones asking questions. I wanted to flip it just a little bit as we get started here. And I wanted to ask you guys a question. So it's summer and obviously people are traveling a ton. Is there any place that you guys have been to that's been really fun or exciting over the summer? Whoa. I've been there once or twice. It's kind of far. I live in Spring Hill. <laughs> Anywhere else? What is it? Italy? Come on, dude. That's awesome. S- s- did you say Cleveland? Yeah, first. We can't ask Sam anything. Did you say Ohio? Yeah. I've never been to Ohio, but Mike says it's great. So I'm sure it's fun. And Tim. Well, uh, what's that? Florida, yes, thank you. I'll pay you later. Um, Yeah, we actually got the opportunity to take a bunch of students to Panama City Beach, Florida. Uh, I actually took Sam and Tim with me, which was, I think, looking back, was probably a mistake. Um, If you've ever spent a week with either one of those guys, it's, no, it's a great time. Um, But it was awesome. We had a week just of fun games. It was super hot um great conversations and obviously the beach it was really really fun um man as i look back like it was a crazy week not only because it's camp and it's one of the biggest things we do all year but um like the thursday before that camp um, i actually got a phone call and my grandmother had passed away um and so pretty quickly from the return from camp i went i went straight to california and i uh, spent about a week and a half there doing the funeral and different things and spending time with family. And so, man, June is kind of, I think I spent nine days at home, which for us is not typical. Um, so it's just a long, long month of June, which, again, why I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Um, anyways, just wanted, I just wanted to spend some time uh, with a story from the Old Testament, which the Old Testament is awesome. There's so many cool stories, and I think it sometimes gets bad rap. Um, but I wanted to spend some time this morning in the book of Judges, um, and I want to just set up the scene here. There's um, you have the Israelites, and it's kind of post Moses, and they're in the Promised Land, and we find them going through this constant cycle of rebellion and rescue. They rebel against God, become enslaved by some neighboring people, and they cry out for help. God rescues them. Then they have a period of peace, and just kind of the cycle happens over and over. So our story day drops us into a time when the nation of Israel is under the dominion of Midian. The Israelites at the time had to take refuge in caves and the mountains simply because the Midianites were trying to cut off their food supply. Anytime they saw Israelites harvesting or with their livestock, they would just destroy it and kill their livestock. And so the Israelites were in some real trouble in this moment. And so they began to cry out to God, going, God, will you come, will you come rescue us? And so God replies, and he does this through a man by the name of Gideon. And uh, in Judges 6, it says Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press, something we all do normally, right? Um, and it was out of the sight of the Midianites. And the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Gideon replied, I think probably confused, With me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. Gideon's not upset, right? Um, So Gideon is working in this wine press. He's hiding. He's out out of nowhere. He's met by God. God calls him a mighty warrior, but he pushes back, and he begins to question where God has been this entire time. It says then God faced him directly, Go in the strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, I will I will be with you. Believe me, and you'll defeat Midian as one man. Now I don't know what Gideon must have been thinking in this moment. But if I was him, I probably would have been thinking, God, you have the wrong person. I'm literally the smallest in the runts. There's got to be anyone else better than me. I'm not the one you want. I'm not qualified. And so Gideon goes through this process of just kind of questioning and challenging and really wanting confirmation that God said what he meant. And so he says this to God. He says, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you a gift. So he comes back with a goat, bread, and broth. That's not what I would have chosen, but Gideon does his own thing. And he places it on a rock before the Lord. And the word says, fire broke out on the rock and burned up the meat and bread while the angel of God slipped away out of sight. And Gideon knew it was the angel of God. In that moment, I would have been pretty confident that God was with me. Like I literally just saw my dinner gone in just that moment. Um, And so I think Gideon, he begins to trust that God was indeed speaking to him. He begins to trust what God was saying, that he was to free Israel from the Midianites. So he kind of prepares for battle, he gathers his allies and calls, calls them to join in this massive fight. I think there's kind of this epic moment in my head, I think of like Avengers Endgame. Any Marvel fans out here? Anyone see Thor? Is it worth going to? Yeah. Okay, okay, thank you. I was on the fence, but it's Thor. So, but yeah, I think this epic kind of moment, right, uh, where the opposing is kind of gathering in the valley, and Gideon is gathering his crew, but he's still nervous. He's unsure, which I'm like, dude, he just took your dinner away. Why are you still nervous? But he says to God, if this is right, if you're using me to save Israel, as you've said, then look. I'm placing a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If dew is on the fleece, but the floor is dry, then I know that you will use me to save Israel, as you said. God responds by doing exactly what Gideon requested. And the word says there was enough dew to fill a bowl. It's a lot of, it's a lot of dew. Gideon then asked, because this wasn't enough, he, he wanted more confirmation, so he asked God to do the reverse. And I think it's such a funny moment in this story because Gideon is still unsure. He's fearful. And he wants to know that he can trust God and depend on him. The story goes on that I think Gideon, he's gained some confidence now. And he's kind of ready to go. Uh, he's got his men. And I think he feels confident that God has him. But then God throws a curveball his way. God said to Gideon, you have too large of an army with you. I can't turn Midian over to them like this. They'll take all the credit. Saying, I did it all myself and forget about me. Make a public announcement. Anyone afraid, anyone who has qualms at all, may leave and go home. And 22 companies headed for home. 10 companies were left. I think at this point, Gideon might have been like, yo God, what are you doing, man? I I was feeling good. I was feeling confident. You've kind of proven yourself to me and you want me to send people home? He only left me with 10 companies left. I don't know how many is in a company, but it's not as much as 30, right? But then God makes him cut more men. In the end, he only ends up with 300 men. And the story goes on to say that Gideon divided the 300 men into three companies, and he gave each man a trumpet and an empty jar. That's probably the the last thing I'd bring to a a fight, but (laughs) Gideon does his thing, like I said. And he said, "Watch me and do what I do. When I get to the edge of camp, do exactly what I do. And when I and those blow with me blow the trumpets, you also, all around the camp, blow your trumpets and shout for God and for Gideon." Now the Midianites, when this happened, goes into a frenzy, and they start killing each other and fleeing. It's so funny because they win not by fighting, but by blowing trumpets and shouting. It was undeniable that God was present with them. And Gideon was completely dependent on God. So maybe it's the first time you've heard this story, or maybe you've heard it before. But either way, you might be wondering, what does this have to do with us? What does it have to do with me? I think this story is an important one because it highlights our need and dependence on God. Sure, no one is living in ancient Israel, but I think much like the Israelites, We find ourselves in the same cycle of rebellion, captivity, a coming to our senses, and then a crying out to God for help. We need God, but I think sometimes we forget that. I know part of the challenge is the culture we live in. Our American culture is littered with this idea that you need to be dependent only on you. It's this message of rugged individualism, where we don't depend on someone unless we absolutely have to, and every, everywhere we look, our culture speaks to this independence. One example that I thought of was this kind of idea of the self-help culture. It's this billion-dollar industry where there's thousands of books, conferences, podcasts, videos, reels, ads, you name it, all trying to help you be a better version of you, to be more successful, work harder, make more money, you name it. Now don't get me wrong, I want to be really clear, I'm not referring to things like mental health or self-care. I'm a huge subscriber to those things, specifically counseling and therapy. I'm more referring to this idea that we can be, that we are self-reliant and dependent on no one but ourselves. We are responsible for our success. The culture that says you must be better, and if you aren't, then follow these six steps to become the greatest you. I think sometimes we become obsessed with being the best. And I think it's something that we've struggled with for a long time, I mean, even the disciples argued about who the greatest in the kingdom was. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, he called a little child to him, and he put the child among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like a little child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus answers this question for the disciples in the most surprising way. He elevates the smallest, most dependent people, children, which if you have little kids, you kind of know what this is like. I have a four-year-old daughter. Her name is Adelina. Uh, she's awesome. She's a ball of fun. Uh, but she thinks she's just Miss Thing, Right? Um, one of her favorite things to do is she wants to do things on her own, right? She doesn't want help. She just wants to do it. And she'll, she'll say, hey, Dad, I got this, right? And the most recent thing I could think of, she was cutting up a piece of paper because she wanted to do this awesome craft. And so she's cutting up this paper, right? And she messes up, right? Just completely has the biggest meltdown I've ever seen, And she's like, I can't do it. And she like just falls over. And I'm like, I I can help you. And she's like, but I'm not good enough. I'm not, I can't do this on my own. I'm like, but I can help you. Basically, she can't really do anything without us. She's fully dependent on us. I think this is why Jesus invites the disciples to become like children because we need God I think sometimes we do the same thing. We're like, yo God, check this out, I got this. And then we try and do whatever that thing is, and then we don't, and we're like, I'm not good enough. I'm terrible, we have this complete meltdown, and God's like, I I can help, I can help. I recently went through this season where I basically told God just that, I got this. Now, some of you guys know my story, some of you guys may not, Uh, but I'm, I'm originally from Santa Barbara, California, which is this coastal town, it's really beautiful. Um, my, my mom, she was a single mom, and uh, she worked multiple jobs. And, um, man, childhood was just really, really tough. Uh, I was bullied. There was a lot of things that I had to experience. But one of the things that was the most difficult, um, difficult of my experiences when I was 12 I was actually abused. Um, now, I, in the moment, I don't know if I fully understood, recognized, or processed what had happened but it definitely shaped me over the course of my life. Well, kind of fast forward to, man, I think 2016, 2017. Um, I was in counseling with my wife and we're talking through just our childhood stories and I started to process this, this moment in my life that I'd never really processed with her. And, uh, man, it was really hard. It was really challenging and I began to process um, what happened, who it was, and... Uh, and what my experience was like. And it was during that time frame, kind of leading up to like 2019, I enrolled myself in this conference, so to speak. And it was over the course of three weeks where me and a bunch of strangers processed through some deep trauma together. Looking back may have not been the best idea, but <laughs> there was some beauty in the experience. Uh, there was a moment where, man, I got to process through that experience as a kid. And it was hard, and it was good, and it was healing. Um, But in that moment, one of the things I heard was that it was my job to protect me. Essentially, I only need to depend on myself. And I was to be what I didn't have as a kid and protect me. So I left this conference with just this newfound confidence um, that I was going to protect me. And life would be better, different, all because of me. And uh, I can't tell you how wrong I was. Part of this process happened right before COVID. Then COVID happens and I'm trying to process not only the things that I'm experiencing outside in the world, but just in my own self. And I have this central message that again, it is my job to protect me. And so one of the ways I did that was whenever I felt threatened, insecure or small, I would just respond by getting big. Now, I know, I'm not super tiny, I'm I'm a pretty big guy, but oftentimes inside I felt really small. And so I responded, man, with just some intense anger, frustration, and essentially bigness. And all my friends, man, my, my coworkers, they experienced about a year of me just being really, really angry. Um, The challenge was, too, is is anger was the central emotion I was experiencing, and I I stopped feeling all the other things. I mean, for the first time in my life, I couldn't feel anything except for anger. It didn't feel like me. But it was hard because it, it felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm told I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to respond this way. And yet, my friendships were being strained, my wife and I were getting in fights like no other. People on staff are going, man, are you okay? I'm like, this is supposed to be like the best year. I processed through so much. But I was stuck. So where did I go wrong? I did, again, what I thought I was supposed to, but it just didn't work. What I realize now, the problem was that I was dependent fully on me. I said to God, and everybody else, I got this. And it left me isolated, angry, and just plain sad. So, about a year of just hitting the wall in this kind of mentality, I finally broke down and I asked for help. I reached out to a counselor and I asked them to process through the last couple of years of my life. And while walking with my counselor, I began to understand what I got wrong God is the protector, not me. God is. My role is to be open, honest, and vulnerable with him in my shortcomings, to acknowledge my weakness and allow him to be my strength. It was during this time where I really kind of dove into the teachings of Paul where he speaks in Romans and he says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in weakness and the insults, hardship, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I've heard this scripture a ton of times, but man, it is so difficult to walk that out. To allow myself to, one, not only acknowledge my weakness, but to say to others, hey, I need help. This is a really hard concept to grasp. And it's counter to what i really a lot of what I've been told. But I have found it to be true. Over the last couple of years, I've not only seen a, seen a father who's trustworthy, but one that is really, really patient. I think sometimes we think we have to bring our best to God or else God would be disappointed. And I think this is why I love the story of Gideon is because we see a God that is constantly patient with him. I mean, there's a part of the story that I didn't share right before where we they're about to attack where God says, hey, if you're still unsure, let me give you one more sign. God is extremely patient, not only with getting but also with us in all of the things that we struggle with. It's a daily practice to try and not protect. As a, as a man, as a father, as a husband, I don't know, some, somehow it's been drilled in that it's my job to do all these things. You know, and it's just not. Sure, I have a responsibility to my family and to my wife, but to be the sole protector on every part, I'm just flawed. I'm just flawed. And so this morning, as we, uh, we come to a close here, I want to leave you guys with just a, a quote that I think has been really helpful to me. Uh, It's by a guy by the name of John Mark Comer, who's a pastor and a writer. And he wrote a very short, you know, blog story, um, book kind of thing. And he did this during COVID. And it was called Suffering Lovely. And he says this, Stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships quietly defy the individualism that's wreaking havoc across the west surrender your autonomy to love place yourself in the constraint of community for it is there we are set free give up your preferences for the sake of others and enroll in the school of agape when you fail a course throw yourself upon god's mercy and come back to the table eat the bread drink the wine and ingest the forgiving love of god repent repent again and again, risk vulnerably. We will get hurt and we will hurt in return, but that's part of facing grace. And I just want to highlight this last line. Our greatest wounds comes from relationships, but so does our deepest healing. The risk is worth it. I love this quote because it invites us to continually risk with one another, not protecting, but to be vulnerable. To lean into the community of faith around us and, and the people that we need. The beauty of the church is we get to see each other's needs and fill them. We get to ask for help. We get to wrestle with our faith. And as a church, man, we get to facilitate a part of that. I think so often I've seen so many of my close friends be hurt by the church, and the response oftentimes is just to leave, to go in isolation, to be done with this thing we call the body. I've heard statements like, man, all I need is Jesus in my Bible. All I need is my prayer clause. All I need is just online church, right, by myself, never interacting with anyone. And while that's a way, I think, to protect you from the pain and heartache that sometimes the church in itself can bring, oftentimes I think it's a disservice to the community of faith. Right? So it's a disservice to our own healing. Right? The hard part is, is processing through our pain, our hurt, our struggles, and our weaknesses with one another and being vulnerable and saying, hey, I need you, and you need me, and we're all dependent. On God. So, as the band comes up, I just want to invite you to the stations around the room. Um, we have different stations here where you can take communion, you can give, or you can write down a prayer request. And um, I don't know. Maybe you're like me. You've you've tried for a long time to do this on your own. Where, man, you're just like, I don't need anybody else. I've been too hurt. It's been too hard, right? I can't trust anyone. And therefore, I'm just going to do this on my own. Maybe that's you. I just want to invite you to, man, to risk in the community of God. And to really speak out and say, God, man, I, I need you. What I've done before has not worked. To be dependent on me just doesn't work. So God, will you lead me into dependence on you? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for the community of faith and the ability to wrestle in our insecurities and our weaknesses together. God, you said in our weakness, you are made strong. So God, I pray if we've taken the role of protector, We've taken the role that was meant for you. I pray that we would just take a step back and invite you into those places, those relationships, and those moments where we've said essentially to you, God, I've got this. Because reality is we don't. It's only by your grace that we do anything. So God, will you help us? Will you be the protector? Invite us in to risk again. Thank you for all that you do in your name. Amen.